Welcome to the Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Welcome to the fam room. This is Mari. I'm here with my co-host, John. How you doing? And Craig. Hey, hello. So we've got a pretty heavy topic today. Mm-hmm. We're going to be, because in the family room, we like to talk about things that are fun and exciting, but also real and sometimes heavy. And so today we'll be talking about the topic of grief. And we've got a guest today who will be talking to us about grief in general, but also grief through miscarriage, which was her personal experience. But you guys, as you think about grief, what strikes you? That men and women have very different responses to how they grieve oftentimes. Ah, interesting, Craig. That, um, you know, sometimes as guys, we don't want to grieve. We don't know Mm. how to grieve. We want to go back to work and we want to kind of hide from it because that means I've got to address my feelings or I've got to address whatever. And I think sometimes, like we've lived through a miscarriage We've lived through job changes. We've lived through loss of my father. I mean, everybody's had loss. Mm -hmm. And each one of them has brought about a different type of grieving. You know, my father had cancer, died, and was gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, when it's something you can't explain, it's really tough to get through. Yeah, and sometimes you don't even know that's what's happening to you, that you're grieving. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, John? What's your thought? When I heard the topic, what came to my mind was just a story not a story, a thing that actually happened in our lives. A friend of ours had a grandson who was in a terrible car accident and had a near-death experience. He's only about 10 or 11 years old. And when he came back to consciousness, he shared with his mom that when he was in heaven, he met his brother and his sister. And then I I won't say names, but this person had two miscarriages. No one knew that about that, but she, but her and her husband who was no longer in their lives. And, and so and all this grief and difficulty we're going to talk about, there's happiness. There's wow. there's 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 souls in heaven. There's souls in heaven. There's hope. Hey. Yeah. So that is what we'll be talking about. Yeah. So we've got Kathy Powell with us today. We'll introduce her just shortly after our prayer, and she'll be able to talk us and walk us through that. Thank you. Hey, John, would you open us with prayer? I would be happy to do that. Thank Let's begin you. in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, before all things, we come with thanks and praise and adoration for the good, for the difficult, and for the in-between, because we know all things are from you or are allowed by you to bring about good. Today, we ask you to be with us in this special time. We're going to talk about grieving. We ask you just to clear our minds and open our hearts and open our minds that we might understand the message that you would have us understand ourselves, or maybe even a message that you would have us understand that we could share with someone who we know to be grieving. At the end of the day, our desire is to know you and to do your will and to bring others to you. And so we ask you to bless this time together. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. That was beautiful. Yeah, so today we are going to be talking to somebody who does know God and who does um, work to do his will as well. So we have, as a guest today, Kathy Powell. And Kathy is a passionate nonprofit and faith-based communications professional. Um, she lives here in Rodgewell, Georgia, where our studios are. And, well, not in our studios, I guess, but yeah, she, she <laughs> lives here in Roswell um, with her husband, Kent, and her three children. Um, she also is a friend of a friend because she is the creative director for Becky Eldridge. And we had Becky on our show back in March, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, and Kathy and Becky work with Ignatian um, spirituality, which is very cool. And so we are appreciating Kathy being here with us today. Um, In addition to all things Ignatian, she also loves to cook without recipes. And um, she specifically is using her gifts and her experiences to walk with families who've lost a child due to miscarriage, stillborn or infant loss. So Kathy, welcome to the family room. Welcome. Thanks for having me. We're so very glad that you are here with us. And um, so it's evident from your bio that you love your faith. You love your family. Maybe could you share a bit more about yourself with our listeners? Obviously, I just read this bio, but what about your own faith and and maybe even your grief journey that led you to serve others this way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up Catholic. My dad is Italian and my mom is Puerto Rican. Both of them um, pray often and um um, it was always a part of my 
um, upbringing to um, turn to faith and to pray and um, specifically my mom and her Puerto Rican style if there is a tragedy there is a screaming of the Hail Mary in Spanish Uh, (laughs) that is is what you turn to very first and so that has been a part of me and as I uh, as I grew up and took the faith on really as my own um, really turned to what does that prayer what does prayer look like for me Mm. in my life and um, and what does it look like to keep praying when hard things happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me specifically, with the miscarriage of two of my children, really led me to say, okay, how does prayer fit in when it's not pretty, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. it's hard to face things and speak? And <laughs> um, what what does it look like when you know, the set rituals of the Catholic Church um, feel like too much or feel too overwhelming or mm-hmm. aren't, you know, what what is that path to kind of find God where you are? Mm-hmm. And so I think that um, really has led me in combining, you know, my loss with then my study and personal experience with prayer of how I can help other people, not just in the practicalities of what happens when specifically you lose a child, Mm -hmm. but also in the, how do you pray with that? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. And it's interesting, as you say, kind of when our typical rituals become too much, you kind of got to boil it down to, okay, there's Jesus. I can focus on Jesus. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Interesting. Well, and you've talked about it very specific form or or reason for grieving. But look at the reality is we all grieve, whether it's the death of a family member, whether it's the loss of a job, we all grieve very differently, quite honestly. Um, Love the idea of how do you pray through that, though. And based on your experience and what you've observed, not only in your life, but maybe the people you've ministered to, what has God put on your heart that is your message to people out there that are grieving, regardless of what the grief is based on. Right. It doesn't matter if it's something really large or universally acknowledged, like a death, or something that might just be a personal cause of grief, like a job or something like that. It really is, to me, that reminder that we are not alone. And I feel like that has been my purpose in... Um, in walking through the pain that I have is that God has um, assured me and shored me up with um, extra compassion and with extra just bone deep knowledge that we have a companion in our suffering, that hope has a name, Jesus, that, you know, our God is big enough to carry um all of our emotions, our anger, you know, the um, the shame or selfishness we might feel for even the fact that we are grieving, mm. um, that there is, that, that we are, you know, an incarnation people, right? The mm. Emmanuel, God with us, that that just beautiful promise of God and truth that we are not alone is... Um, is really what I feel um, like my ministry and work is based on and accompanying people through loss uh, and on a grief journey is really about helping people have space to name um, where they feel alone, where they're keeping, you know, hiding things from God, where mm-hmm. how it suits them at that moment to be able to pray and to share with God. So I think really that that has been um, that my focus has been on not only in grief, but really in any hard time, in any time, in all time, in the good and the bad that are so often uh, closely related, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't just have bad and you don't just have good, that, um, that we are not alone. And that gives me so much hope and perseverance um, when it's hard. Mm-hmm. So in essence, too, you focus on a personal relationship with the living God. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think my background being in Ignatian <clears throat> spirituality is really um, that focus of God in all things and of being aware of the presence of God in our life and tools and prayer tools to be able to look and say, here's where Jesus is mm. in this right now. And here is where I know it. And here's where this person was placed in my path because I was losing hope quick. You know? And so I think um, that it is absolutely for me a very personal thing um, and that personal uh, assurance that I am not alone, not we as a people are not alone, mm -hmm. me personally, mm -hmm. that I am not alone. So, Kathy, stay personal for a second then, because how God drew you to himself or what he allowed as a way to bring you very close to him, to teach him this passion, to teach you this passion you have on your heart was a deeply sorrowful thing. Take us through that. Take us through the, um, the, the your path. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it was in uh, October of 2010. Uh, at the time, I was eight weeks pregnant, and my husband, Kent, and I um, were just thrilled, right, to be going to see the ultrasound. It was our first child. Uh, October 4th, at the time, I had been doing a lot of Catholic Earth Day work, and so the 4th was specifically um, ingrained in my mind as the Feast of St. Francis. Mm -hmm. And so I had been praying for the weeks coming up to the appointment um, on the intercession of St. Francis because... You know what a good patron as he's the saint we turn to you know for all the furry animals it makes sense <laughs> like oh well yes let's throw little babes in there too and so um and so when uh we got to the appointment um we heard the heartbeat and everything was perfect um and so i um you know go to the end of the appointment we make the next appointment the next appointment is november 1st which made me smile because i was like ha 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 see you saint francis i raised you all the saints november 1st <laughs> is the feast of all saints in our catholic church and so um and so i come back in on november 1st this time um on my own because it wasn't an ultrasound day a designated ultrasound day and um the sweet, just kind, compassionate midwife who was working with me um, was using the Doppler to find the, the uh, fetal heartbeat and she kept shaking it and she was like, I'm having such a hard time with this. This machine keeps breaking. I just don't know what's going on. And she's like, let's just run over to the big ultrasound. And I was like all excited. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a bonus ultrasound. And through that, um, it was revealed that there was no heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And she had known that. She was just being kind. And so there was that moment, and that was really the first time in my life that I can literally say I felt like the before and after, like at that moment of no heartbeat, mm. life has ch had changed. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, moving forward from that, then it became not only dealing with the immediate obvious loss of there's now not a child, but also, you know, the end of a pregnancy, no baby shower, no crib, no one would be calling me mom. Um, you know, and the having to figure out how to walk through all of those kind of um, the primary and secondary losses, they call it, right? All of the things that are involved with a loss. Figuring out how to walk that for myself, for myself with God and for with my husband and with my husband and I and God um, was uh, really hard. Just took a lot of... Um, of effort and time of really having to face like, okay, there has been a before and after that has happened. Mm -hmm. And now that, now that this is a new, a new place, a new really broken place, how, how does my life look now? Mm -hmm. 
so now so you walked to that point and clearly you've walked through it how how has that how has that like changed what 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 was that those first what were those first few steps like i guess absolutely i think that when you're at the very beginning of any grief really in that throes of grief mm-hmm. it is often really hard to see light mm. um in my specific type of loss with a miscarriage it can often be um even kind of a different type of darkness because people might not know you might not have told people you might not have any support you might have a lot of people who don't view the loss in the way you do um you know um as a loss of a life mm-hmm. and um and so i think the first step for me um and where i found my ignatian spirituality to be so helpful at this point was um becoming aware that there was still light present mm-hmm. that there was uh, still goodness in the mm-hmm. world that i was still loved that this wasn't some sign of any personal weakness or mm-hmm. sin or punishment that this was you know that um that i was not abandoned Thank you for sharing that. It's such a, obviously a personal and very continues to be just something that really affects your heart. It's been, even though it's been about 10 years and God has Mm -hmm. walked you through it, it's still something that you, that you carry. And I think that's the thing about grief, right? We all carry it. We carry it differently. We carry it personally. And as you just said, um, as, as you go through it, for some people, it's going to feel, it's going to feel different in different ways. Um, really appreciate you be willing to share that. And, you know, for all of us, I think all of us want to know, okay, so how do I deal with my own grief? How do I walk with people more effectively with grief? And so one of the things I, that I sense from your conversation, as you just shared that, is that sometimes it can feel lonely in that dark place. It can feel very, very lonely. Mm-hmm. So as you've, as you've walked with people through their grief, what are some of the different ways that you've discovered that people process grief? Because that might help us know when we're processing it, mm-hmm. when we don't, we haven't even named it as grief, or it might help us to know, oh, he's not angry. He's actually grieving. Let me have a little bit more compassion about that. So could you help us to understand maybe more of what you've observed on how people process grief? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the um, hardest things for us to do is acknowledge it as grief. Sometimes that's very hard because um, maybe other people around us are not giving us permission Mm. to grieve or name it as grief, or we feel like we just shouldn't be grieving that. And so as a result, um, it becomes very easy to kind of just push through it Mm -hmm. to say, okay, yeah, that happened. That was not good. Let's just keep going. And, uh, you know, in specific in the... Uh, land of child loss it's the you know just have another child it's okay like you're young you know those kind of um it's the dismissiveness that is very easy for us to do to ourselves as well right to Mm. say you know i don't have time for this especially i don't have time for this goodness i mean a loss like this doesn't happen by itself right so it's not like your calendar is all clear and all Mm. of a sudden you have all this time to just focus on what has happened uh, no, oftentimes with um, with big um, items of loss, you know, there's a lot of logistics and practical things that have that you have to attend to mm-hmm. that can eat into kind of your ability to really acknowledge. And I think um, what uh, the two kind of keys of acknowledging it and then also having someone, to acknowledge it with you, um, be that either being able to bring it to God and look at um, look at this kind of loss together, or um, to have friends or family members or people who are that safe space where it's okay for you to um, to complain about the you know those secondary losses that feel um, you know too minor to even speak mm-hmm. it's interesting a couple of things you said that um stand out especially for somebody who experienced the same thing 30 years ago though mm-hmm. um you. you know there's different i guess points 
within that process. So you could be 10 weeks, 12 weeks, you can be 39 weeks. Mm -hmm. It's a very different experience, but it doesn't change the fact that it's a life, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's tough to not see a child. I mean, that's where I think this whole abortion debate comes into because, well, if I haven't seen it, it's really not real, but it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I read about a, uh, a study out of England uh, that was looking specifically at how people of faith um, grieve and perceive loss of a child. And it was very interesting um, and something that really resonates with me is that idea that um, because I so instantly knew that that was a life, I so instantly heard no heartbeat as death. Mm -hmm. And the way that I processed it was as a death, as if a family member yeah. had died, as opposed to just no longer being pregnant. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and the study had looked at the different effects that has on how people respond um, to it. And so, like, for me, I did respond to it in a similar way as if, um, you know, if I had had a family member um, pass away. So it was, it felt um, very real of an end of life to me. Yeah. Um, and so I do think most of the people... Uh, that I have walked with through this have specifically been um, of the Catholic faith as well, because I know that there is that added layer of respect of life um, being just highly personal and uh, instantly knowing that that is the end of a life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and I think part of our getting over the grieving, frankly, was naming the baby, mm -hmm. identifying it. Mm. We chose ours was a daughter. We named her. Um, What's your daughter's her name? Christina. Christina. Oh. But it's interesting because, as we say, <clears throat> there's no right way to grieve, right? Everybody, it's very personal or whatever. But I think you say there's two key highlights to keep in mind when you're faced with grieving. Would you kind of break that apart for us? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the keys really no matter um, when kind of the grief comes back, whether it's just when it has happened or if it's um, dealing with it years later, is this idea of acknowledging it as grief and not trying to acknowledge it alone. I think the alone piece becomes a special challenge for people who have lost children because it is, um, it's so often just not often known by a lot of other people, especially if you um, miscarry in the earlier weeks, it might be something that you just haven't, you haven't even announced yet. And in fact, there's a common, you know, societal, um, approach that you shouldn't tell anyone that you're pregnant before 12 weeks in case you mm. do miscarry. And I think that feels so incredibly damaging mm. because what we're telling people is if you um, lose a child before that point, and we know that one in four mm. pregnancies end in a loss, that, um, that you have to do it by yourself. Wow. that you shouldn't have to deal with telling someone. Yeah. And I understand it's very hard to announce you're pregnant and then announce you're not pregnant. Um, that is not easy at all. But we are, you know, a people who thrive on community. And when you separate yourself from community in that way, uh, it then becomes harder to seek out someone who will uh, who will not minimize it, who mm -hmm. will not push through it, who will not try to solve it, mm -hmm. um, especially with um, with child loss. There's a lot of trying to solve it of, you know, have you seen this doctor? Have you done this? Is right. there this? And so there's a lot of um, of challenges around acknowledging your grief and 
really sitting in, letting yourself sit in grief with someone else or being that person to sit with someone else. Yeah. You said something, Kathy, that, that caught my attention. You said when it comes back up again. Mm. And, and you made a point to say grief is not linear. And we tend to want to move from point A to point B to point C, right? But that doesn't work with, we've only got a couple minutes left. Can yeah. you get, give us a little bit of insight on that, please? Absolutely. I think that was one of the hardest things for me to get over was the idea that I couldn't achieve my way out of grief, that mm. it didn't get a little better every day right? Uh, because it's not linear, that really grief is um, is a circle in my mind that you have what they call grief bursts where um, you're spurred by um, a memory, an anniversary, a holiday, and that will bring you right back to that um, initial kind of throes of grief stage. And it can be incredibly frustrating um, to feel yourself back there again. Mm. And to know that that's normal, that it's like there will be days that are better, but there will also be days that kind of bring you back um, to that rawness of grief. And so um, I do think that's what makes grief so incredibly obnoxious is that it's not linear is it doesn't get predictably easier got it yeah got it yeah so we're about to head to our break and we when we return we're gonna we would love to have you tell us more about how to keep other people from being alone like you said we're told not to say oh we're expecting and by nature of doing that it's almost like Make sure you're all, all alone. It, 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 I hadn't thought about that before, but it really happens. So how to accompany other people in grief? What are some of the things that you can do, um, to your point, to work through it? You can't achieve your way, but just important rituals to be able to work through some of that. So listeners, please stay tuned. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with Kathy Powell. We'll be right back inside the family room in moments. Sponsored by Versprite on The Quest. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. Healthcare providers should care about health, right? Why then has Planned Parenthood's actual women's healthcare services dropped over 72% in the last 10 years? Abortion is not healthcare. Abortion kills. Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the United States with 700 abortion facilities. And in the 2019 fiscal year, they ended 345,672 innocent American lives. This is an increase of 13,000 in the last year and 25,000 over the last two years. To put that in context, that is about half the population of Washington, D.C., why then does the United States government continue to send the millions of taxpayer dollars in funding and grants year after year? If we don't stop them, no one will. Let's love God by loving life. Show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. Here at The Quest, we often hear how our programs touch hearts and change lives. Now more than ever, people need to hear the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. As a 100% listener-supported station, The Quest relies on monthly donations to stay on the air. Please consider making a monthly donation to The Quest and help us continue to provide inspiring Catholic programming. Monthly donors are the lifeblood of the station. Visit thequestatlanta.com to donate. Thank you for your support. Hi, this is AJ with The Quest. Did you know that we are on a mission to invite, inform, and inspire listeners like you? We want you to embrace your journey and take one step closer to God by not only listening, but engaging with us. In fact, we could use your help with making this vision a reality. I ask you to prayerfully consider joining us as a missionary to help with volunteer tasks at our studio in Roswell, Georgia. If you feel called to help and would like to learn more, please send us an email at info at thequestatlanta.com. Does your parish, charitable organization, or ministry have an upcoming event that you'd like to promote? Advertise it on AM 1160, the Quest Community Calendar. It's easy and there's never a fee. Just visit thequestatlanta.com, click on events, and submit your activity or event. Enhance the success of your community outreach event. Take advantage of the Quest Atlanta's complimentary community calendar and gain more exposure to the Metro Faith community. Submit your event at thequestatlanta.com today. 
St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com. Welcome back to The Family Room with Mari, John, and Craig, sponsored by Versprite on AM 1160 The Quest. So welcome back to The Family Room, everybody. We're here and we're talking um, to Kathy Powell. And Kathy, every guest on The Family Room has one thing in common. Well, they have a lot of things in common, actually. But one thing, they, they tell us their favorite Family Room memory. So will you share with our listeners... And us, your favorite family room memory. That could be growing up or now, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up mostly in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And when I think about our family room there, what I'm um, immediately drawn to is the uh, times that I spent um, on the floor in front of the couch in between kind of the couch and the TV dancing or performing or rolling or just being <laughs> physically active. Uh, specifically, I can think of, you know, our um, family always united around um, events like the Olympics. And I can remember uh, pretending to vault, right? <laughs> oh, like in, our, in my living room, <laughs> like putting my hands up and, um, and in the most fake way, not absolutely, not actually tumbling, but just like putting my head down and pretending like I was going to run and then jump. And so I see that in my living room now. I actually um, got my um, kids a gymnastics mat that folds out. And so we can put it in the living room um, so that they're like just tumbling and jumping around uh, while we're all gathered. And um, that's something that's become really special to me to watch them um um, just feel free to move and be able to be a part of us all together in a real kind of physically jovial way. <laughs> it's kind of our family, physically jovial. That's a tagline or something. <laughs> I like, wow, I and I love how that's gone from generation to generation. Yes, the physical jovialness of your family. <laughs> well, that, you said you were Italian and Puerto Rico. 100%? There's, there, yeah. there, how do you get more physical about anything you do? There's a lot of passion. Joy or otherwise. We always say, especially with my kids, that, you know, um, you either have to tell kids uh, to giddy up or whoa. And we all, we have whoa kids. Like, slow down. Woohoo. Like, let's think about this. It's our culture, mom. We have, yeah, we have some action taking enthusiasm in our household for sure. Good, 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 good. Well, also in your household, we know that you have also continued the the generational traditions of your faith as well. And one of the things that before the break, you were kind enough and gracious enough to share with us and our listeners, the miscarriages that you went through. And as you grieved those miscarriages, you had shared with us before that there were some specific ways that you found particularly healing that actually were linked to our faith tradition as Catholics. And I think it's especially important for people who don't know what to do. They don't know what to do when they've gone through a miscarriage. As we said earlier, our society oftentimes acts as if it was no big deal, especially if it's been before 12 weeks. It's kind of like, oh, it's it's no big deal. But we know that is a baby, that is a baby who is now in heaven. We know that it was a true loss. And interestingly enough, you know, one of the statistics I know that you had shared with us earlier was that 70% of marriages break apart after the loss of a child. Mm -hmm. And I think that some people don't even realize that they are holding this grief, they're carrying this grief, that this is going on. So can you share some of the traditions, some of the rituals that you used um, that really were healing and helpful for you as you worked through the grief of miscarriage? Absolutely. You know, the naming of the baby has already been brought up. And mm -hmm. thank you for um, for bringing Christina into our conversation. Um, but that in itself is really hard uh, for a lot of people to um, put a kind of name and identity mm. with the loss. And there's such a, you know, Catholic ritual of, you know, when you bring a baby for baptism, mm -hmm. you state the name and it's so tied into, um, 
into you know our identity as people, our names. And so um, naming the baby, if you uh, know someone who has lost a child and they use the name, use the name. Yeah. Let them hear it, repeat it back. Let them know that someone else is acknowledged and heard that baby as a person. And what were the names of your babies? My babies are Francis and Claire. So um, since we had heard the heartbeat on Feast of St. Francis, our first loss um, is Francis. And then our um, subsequent loss after we had a living child, I named her Claire because of St. Francis and St. Clair, both being from Assisi and both mm. being such um, good friends that it um, just brought me peace to think about them being friends in heaven. Yeah, so they're together <laughs> so, right now. Yes. Yeah, so I That's have awesome. Francis and Claire. And then my um, I have a living daughter whose middle name is Claire spelled differently because... Um, it's just uh, inspired by, right? Not a replacement of. Mm. So, uh, so she's very proud that her middle name is Claire after um, her sister. Oh, that's wonderful. So you actually make it very clear to your children that they have brother, they have sisters. Absolutely. And yeah. a lot of that is, you know, when we look at the way our Catholic Church celebrates All Saints Day and mm -hmm. All Souls Day, you know, in the month of October, which is uh, set aside as Infant Loss Remembrance Month, but my husband and I both talk about our children in heaven to our living children. Something as simple as lighting candles, mm -hmm. um, you know, can be a really easy way to um, to bring the whole family around. It's literally the light of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. We do so much with candles and lighting. Um, you know, there's a beautiful uh, Jewish tradition with grief called the Yardsite candle, where they light a candle for 24 hours. Um, on the anniversary of the death mm -hmm. every year. Mm -hmm. And that has become such an easy way for me to pause for a moment and with my family, you know, just light a candle and just acknowledge that this has happened. And I we usually like pause and like when my kids were little, they would like wave up like, hey, <laughs> like, oh, we're pausing to say, hey, St. Francis and Claire, how you doing? Our little saints in heaven. Um, and so I think the ritualizing, naming the baby, the lighting candles um, together as a way to remember due dates on, you know, All Souls Day. I've always loved going to All Souls Day masses or services where they'll give, you know, each person a candle mm -hmm. um, or you'll go up and light a candle, you know, where the whole parish community comes together mm -hmm. to acknowledge specifically those lives that have been lost in the past year. And so I think especially the first All Souls Day, that's such a beautiful ritual that our church gives us that people can be a part of. Right. What's interesting is we talk about grieving. Now, I could be wrong on this scripturally, so y'all can fix it if I'm wrong. But in the story of Christ and Lazarus, didn't mm -hmm. it say he grieved mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. Lazarus before mm -hmm. yeah. he mm -hmm. yeah. resurrected him? Yeah, he wept. So he wept. He wept. Yeah. So it reminds me when you talked earlier, Kathy, about um, bringing Christ into all of this stuff mm -hmm. because he actually lived it, right? He lived... Um, the grief. I mean, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, when he prayed, he grieved over what was about to happen. Mm -hmm. And he kept asking the apostles to pray with me. So he wanted to be accompanied in that. And in our faith, we continue to talk about how do we grow our faith? Well, it's all about accompanying, right? Everything we talk about in our faith is we, we, we evangelize by accompanying. We help heal by accompanying. And when you talk about it, you talked about the importance of not grieving alone, being unaccompanied. And you talk about, you know, accompanying others in their grief is something that God's called you to specifically. What have you learned as you've walked along with other people in their grief? Well, you brought up Lazarus in that example from the Bible. You hear Martha turn to Jesus like, where were you? Right. Mm -hmm. If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And that relationship that... Martha has to bring her real to Jesus, right? Like mm -hmm. oftentimes Martha, I think, gets portrayed a little too negatively. But that <laughs> well, I <Martha>. agree. <laughs> she was awesome. <laughs> but I do think like I really um look to her honesty and naming, you know, her real and what was going on. And so I think that 
being able to just acknowledge that this has happened. People do it in very different ways. And I think some people feel like it has to be some huge gesture or some people, you know, want to have a formal memorial service or want to make more of a, a large gesture out of it. And some people would um, really rather not, right? So there's a lot of <laughs> kind of personality differences with how people grieve. But I really think that the people that I have seen that seem to use the grief to, in the end, bring them closer to God um, instead of further away, seem to be successful in doing that because they are open in naming all their steps along the journey mm. to themselves, to other people and in prayer and Jesus. So I think that how people acknowledge it can really vary. But I think when walking with people who are clearly trying to avoid it mm -hmm. is when you see, when you realize that it's always going to bubble up, that yeah. it might be 20 years. Yeah. It might be, sure. you know, that, um, but that there's, um, at some point, there's going to need to be an acknowledgement or it affects mm -hmm. your other relationships. It affects your relationship with your spouse. Right. Um, it reflects your relationship with, you know, with God and with prayer. And so it is just kind of interesting to see how different people react to that in walking. But I think that the key of walking with people has been giving them space to be able to acknowledge it. Yeah. So, Kathy... You understand in walking with people, you know, what to do and, and, and how to walk with them. What about the rest of us who 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 would find somebody in grief or, or would know about this? What are the do's and don'ts for, I mean, to be typically male and say, I want some rules on what to do and what not to do? Absolutely. I think it's uh, generally easier to start with the don'ts. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I think... You're channeling my mother, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if we start with the don'ts um, in responding to someone's grief, don't push past it, don't minimize it, and don't try to solve it. Mm. So all of the things... Um, that might seem like you're helping someone by, um, oh, it's really okay. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not okay. It's not okay. My baby died. There's nothing that's fundamentally okay with that. Mm -hmm. But what is the most useful is if they're not pushing past, if you're not minimizing it or denying that it's a problem, and if you're not trying to solve it, then what you're left with is you're just being there. Mm. And so I think the what to do is that acknowledgement of that must have been really hard. That that sounds awful. Mm -hmm. Like that it is more useful to acknowledge kind of the, the pain um, than to pretend it's not there because the person knows it's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that the key of what to do is something as simple as saying, you know, oftentimes having to pause the person, because usually even how we tell people, um, like I'll tend to find out that someone has had a loss because um, like, oh, I'm so sorry, we were supposed to meet up to talk about this, but I had this medical thing happen. And it takes a little bit of like, well, what, what's going on? To for some, like, like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I... I had a DNC, but it's fine. And it's, it's not fine. And pausing, helping people know that it's okay to pause and say, Oh, I heard, I heard you mention that and you tried to push past it, but I hear it. Mm -hmm. And so anything that acknowledges it, like you worry about what can I do? Um, you know, we get so many, uh, junk emails and junk mails and now, um, you know, spam texts even that it is never going to disrupt someone to send one message through however you normally communicate with that person, but to send one solid message of, I heard this happened. I am so sorry. That must be really hard. Know that I am praying for you. Yeah. That no matter how good, well, you know that person or not, <laughs> that there's always a place to acknowledge 
that you see them. Mm -hmm. You know, as you were talking about it, I flashed back to Jesus and Lazarus again. You know, I flashed back to here, the king of the universe, who, when you're talking about, can solve the problem. And he did. He ended up bringing Lazarus back from the dead, but he didn't do that right away. Mm -hmm. What he first did was he just sat in grief with them and he cried. So sitting and crying alongside your friend sounds like I mean, he modeled it. Sounds like a beautiful way to be there for somebody. It's a do. That's a really good insight. I do, yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting, too, in that same story because he didn't solve the problem ahead of time. Right. Because he wanted to bring glory to God through something very different. Right. And I think we, Mm. me, (laughs) me, lose sight of that no matter what it is, whether it's, you know, I want this in my life, you know, to something like this it's like well lord we know you want me to have children you know you're going to bless us you know mm-hmm. what happened yeah why why didn't this come about and yeah i guess you know god yeah. saying because i've got something better down the road or you're not ready yet i'm preparing you for something very different mm-hmm. that's tough to accept yeah. yeah i thought about that kathy when you said what do you do when prayer is just ugly right <laughs> That's when yeah. prayer is just ugly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hail well, Marys don't work. No. You're not thinking that. It's just ugly. I'm 16 kinds of mad at you. <laughs> and here we go. Yeah, and I can't even do it. Like, I think one of the things that I think I heard you say in something uh, recently that I listened to that you were talking about was that sometimes we can't pray for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so this mm-hmm. is another way we can accompany somebody is we can offer to pray for you instead. Absolutely. Right? And almost a way of not just praying for someone like, you know, like the little praying hands emoji, not just praying for <laughs> someone, but really letting someone know I am praying for you, like almost in place of you. Like I know that if prayer is hard for you right now, I got mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And, and then just, if you're praying for them or, you know, you light a candle for them at mass, take a picture, yeah. send it to them, let them yeah. know like, Hey, I woke up this morning and I prayed for you. Yeah. Um, that, that accompaniment of being there to help fortify their prayer goes yeah. really a long way. Yeah. And if you can't be physically present, you can be present that way. I know that one of the things a friend of mine does that's so beautiful is God will give her a scripture for me and she'll text me. This was the scripture God put on my heart for you today. And I've been praying the scripture for you. Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. And that's so touching. And it's so powerful too, right? right? The word of God is so incredibly powerful. And then if that's something that you know is being lifted up for you, that's gotta be some healing in that as well. Well, and I turn often to the Old Testament uh, scripture of um, Hannah. She was not praying in a beautiful way. Right, right? Right. <laughs> the high priest Eli literally thought she was drunk right. because her mouth was moving <laughs> and she was so hysterical in grief. And um, but what I love about that story is that um, is that Eli saw her and even when he saw her, he was watching her. He was like, oh, you're drunk. And then when she explained, no, I'm not drunk, he was still there with her. Right. He mm. he heard that. Um, and actually, um, my oldest living son is named Eli, Aww. partly inspired by the high priest in that um, in uh, being present in her grief. Mm, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Well, I'd like to ask you, since I am um, Jesuit trained through high school mm. and uh, various <laughs> other uh, Ignatian spirituality gifts a lot of what ignatius talks about is desolation and he talks about i'm drawing a blank as i say it desolation consolation Consolation. so Mm -hmm. uh, as you talk about this topic you're talking about the exact same thing right you have a miscarriage desolation sets in very deeply so when you talk about your work in your ignatian spirituality and what you've learned from that how did that help you or how did that come into play in your dealing with grief? You know, I think that the understanding of how to look and to hear God in my life, to be able to acknowledge that there is consolation and desolation kind of in all things throughout throughout life and throughout even through your day, right? There's times where you feel closer to God and times where you feel further apart. And in that has really helped me to see that in those moments where desolation feels so big, right? Where your heart is shattered, that doesn't mean there is no consolation present. 
that in those times, um, I feel like the tools of my Ignatian spirituality, specifically like the prayer tool of the examine, is a way that you can um, kind of cultivate that awareness of God's presence and the good, um, even when things are really bad. Mm. So tough question to answer, though. If God is so loving and kind, mm -hmm. why would he let me go through desolation? You know, I don't see it as much as why would God let me go through it? I think that um, that it's just kind of our our human condition that there are um, there are hard things and that the loving and merciful God um will never abandon us. And so when these hard things happen, that um, that it's not, um, you know, I have a hard time with thinking like all things happen for a reason because I do think it's hard um, to put a reason beyond, behind, you know, why anyone dies, right? Mm -hmm. Or why any tragedy happens, why anyone gets cancer. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that in that there's opportunity to give glory to God and to um to continue to be you know um vessels of hope for other people um and in that when you know when those times of desolation hit when there's so much darkness that's when we can lean to other people to be that light for us and so that when we're in times of consolation we can be that light for people in desolation yeah thank you so we're not going to have time to to take a deep dive in it but i do want to call out real quickly kathy you kathy you did an examine for a day of crisis which was your own kind of adaptation to the ignatian examine and we're going to have a link to a couple different uh, references for that in the show notes. So yeah. as you're listening to this, please do check out the show notes because there's a very good, there's just a, a literally an exercise that Kathy has gone through yeah. and you would be able to do it as well. Correct? Yeah, if you get to that show notes, you go to thequestatlanta.com forward slash the family room. So if you hit forward slash the family room, then you can access those. Yeah, great. Okay. And you also have retreats coming up. You've got these amazing virtual retreats. Would you share with our listeners those? And we will also have links to those in our show notes as well. Yes. Through my work as the creative director with um, Becky Eldridge and Ignatian's, um, Ignatian Ministries, we have a live virtual retreat coming up focusing on grieving with Jesus uh, specifically for the time of Advent, but we have a number of uh, pastoral resources and um and other retreats and work we do around this idea of um, of we are not alone and specifically to give you that time and space to bring your grief and all that you are carrying to prayer and, and where what can that could look like. Great. And where can people go to access that? Yes. Go to BeckyEldridge.com. That's Becky, B-E-C-K-Y-E-L-D-R-E-D-E-G-E. Dot com uh, forward slash retreats. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. We have loved our time with you. Thank you so much for sharing your story and all the ways that God is um, using you to touch others in their grief. Would you close us with prayer for all our listeners? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jesus, thank you for this space to talk openly about hard things, to be um, maybe a medium sad time of being honest with what we're carrying and the effect that loss and just a change of plans and when things don't go the way we thought they were gonna go. Thank you. Jesus, for being present with us, for this reminder that we are not alone and that we can be that light of Christ for other people. In your holy name we pray. Amen. 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 Your Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you, Kathy Powell, and thank you, listeners, for joining us. Once again, if you would like to hear Kathy's examine for the day of crisis, you can listen to the link in our show notes or stay tuned if you're listening to the podcast version for that examine. Please join us here again next week in the family room where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com. So, Kathy, would you explain for our podcast listeners what this examine for a day of crisis is that you have created? Yeah, absolutely. So the examine is a simple five-step prayer uh, developed by and popularized by St. Ignatius of Loyola. And it really looks at looking back at the last 24 hours. Mm. And so it gives you five steps to really pause and review um, what happened that day. And so when I was looking for, um, you know, how do I, what, how do I pray Mm -hmm. with grief? I was already in the practice of doing an examine daily, which takes about 10 minutes um, a day. And what I was finding is that the tool of the examine was so much more useful for me in hard times, mm-hmm. even than it was in the easy times. Mm-hmm. So I was so thankful it was already something I knew. And so I've developed this examine of a day of crisis, which instead of looking back at um, your previous 24 hours, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you look back specifically at a 24 hour period where a crisis occurred. Okay, so it could okay. be any crisis. In any your life. crisis. So I say, you know, um, maybe news of a diagnosis or death or a natural disaster, anything that feels like it has split time, those mm-hmm. knee dropping moments where you know there is a before and an after. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what um, I invite everyone to pray with me today and looking back, calling to mind. Um, that day when uh, a crisis occurred so that we can apply these simple five steps um, to really see God's presence in this time. That sounds wonderful. And it sounds like it's very healing. Um, Jesus wants to come and be with us. He offers healing. He offers hope. And this sounds like a wonderful tool to put yourself into that place where you accept that from him. So, um, yeah, so... Let's go ahead. Let's, let, uh, yeah, let's do let's do it. I like the idea that it can you can go back to a point. It doesn't have to be okay. It's five days ago, so it's not fair. You know, it's I can mm. go back five years, five decades if I need to do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Well, the examine is a tool I've also used um, to look back at the end of a year, to look back at a whole year. Mm. We use it in our ministry every quarter to mm. look back at what has happened. Um, you know, to analyze as a ministry, not only um, in a business sense, but also in our hearts, what has happened. Um, And so, yes, it's a very useful, um, very uh, flexible tool. Great. So wonderful. Would you guide us through this examine? Absolutely. So I invite us to just take a moment to pause in prayer today, to take a deep breath in let it out settle in to where we are and to acknowledge that this terrible thing happened to us and that this prayer is to help us bring that to God to help us make sense of it And in this pause, we remember that we are not alone. God is with you. As we start the examine, we ask for God's presence. Holy Spirit, be in this broken place with me. Help me to see all as you see it or you saw it. Help me see the smaller details that I so often 
can't can't recall or just are overshadowed as I think of this this terrible day. Looking with the eyes of God, not looking on our own, but looking with God. We can look upon this day on that 24 hours with gratitude. Even though it's a hard day, name the gifts of the day. Ask God to show you where is the good. What am I thankful for in that day? Take that time now to thank God. to noticing God's presence the Ignatian term of consolation of as you review and recall this day of crisis notice where you felt the presence of God where did you feel an increase in faith, hope, and love. Where might God have been present in this day that you did not see the first time? to the opposite side of where did you feel distant from God? Where, when you walk through this day, even minute by minute, hour by hour, we've looked at where we feel gratitude and where we felt God's presence. But where did you feel a decrease of faith hope, love, what parts of this crisis are still hard that maybe still feel distant from God? With confidence now, share how you are feeling with God. As we carry on away from those 24 hours and come back to the present moment, what grace do you need right now 
Jesus tells us over and over again, do not be afraid. With courage, ask God for what you need for today, for this day ahead, and for the part of this journey you find yourself in right now. We bring this prayer time to a close. We close our examine with the words of the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you for taking this time in prayer with me. If you're interested in uh, more about the examine or like that style of guided prayers, um, I have a, a beautiful free guided prayer library that's available on um, beckyeldridge.com slash resources. And if you go there, you can find um, not only uh, versions of the examine, I think there's a good handful, um, but also um, a couple dozen other guided prayers um, using scripture and in the Ignatian, um, using other Ignatian prayer tools. <laughs>